faced trials of our own within our congregation. We've had some uh, medical crises. We've had some babies born that we've asked the Lord for. We've been through horrific accidents together. We've helped people whose homes have burned, helped people who are oppressed in different areas of the world. We've put coats on people's backs. We've done a lot of things together. So as we look ahead, let's not forget what the Lord is using us for in people's lives. Uh, over the years, I have uh, sort of made it a habit of um, studying and reading uh, sometimes articles, sometimes books, sometimes workshops even that I've taken online about understanding what a person's life is like when you look at it as a story. Uh, that your life is a story. It's some sort of adventure. And there are within that story characters. Sometimes those characters are played by ourselves, and other times they are played by others. Some play, sometimes in our own life, we play two or three characters at the same time. And we find that that's almost problematic. So for the next two or three weeks, I'd like to look at things like purpose and meaning in life as it pertains to you personally or your household as you tell a story. Are you truly the protagonist in your own story? Are you the hero? Are you the victor? Do you have a plan for your plot and your story? And do you have a plan for keeping your plan at the focal point of your life? These are very worthwhile questions. I find at the early part of a person's faith walk, the absence of purpose and meaning for their faith, if never discovered, allows them to actually waste their faith, even walk away from their faith. I also find that at the end of a person's spiritual journey, should they lose that sense of story and adventure, they've lost an incredible opportunity for they find themselves at the wisest, most learned and experienced portion of their life doing little to nothing. Somewhere between the beginning of our faith walk and the end of our faith walk, we need to, without killing ourselves or being exhausted or burnt out, understand that our life is an unfolding story that somehow is growing with, in, and through the power of the love of God. So having taken all of these various sources, I do find one particular book that I'll recommend to you which uh, I, I actually took as a, an assignment to share with the staff, our ministry team. Hero on a Mission by Donald Miller. I like the way he simplifies the understanding of the characters in a story and how that story relates to our life. So I commend that to you. But I've kind of made a conglomeration, plus I've taken 20 plus years of ministry and thrown in a few things I've learned along the way. And this is how I, I would encourage you to look at how you start your year and ask yourself, am I, a, am I a player in my own story? What is the plot of my story? Where am I going? What is the meaning and purpose of my life? 
And is it possible I'm playing more than one person in the story of my life? So I'm gonna give these four words to you and we'll elaborate on these four words as we go through uh, the next three or four weeks. Uh, the first actor in a person's life is the, is the part of the victim. We'll talk about the victim here in a moment, but the victim can be 100% of the time, or we can fade in and out of being a victim. And we all do. The second is the villain. There's a relationship between the victim and the villain. We'll get to that in a moment. And the third is the victor. Uh, the main protagonist of the story, the one whose story is being told, the adventure, the quest that is his or hers and his and hers alone. And the last is the voice. The voice is the counsel. The voice is the wisdom that walks along with the victor. So let's talk about the victim. Uh, some people in life are truly victims. We cannot get away from that. Some people are, by every ounce of the definition of the word, are a victim. A person who's currently locked up, a person who's just been kidnapped, a person that's, that's uh, being oppressed in a foreign country, uh, they, they, they seemingly have no way out, no hope, no resolve. Everything in their life is being imposed upon them and they are truly victims. We have to acknowledge that. Others play the part of a victim but are not truly victims. Each of those two can have a victim mentality. And that's what we gotta watch out for. The Israelites had a victim mentality coming out of Egypt. We'll talk about them. So there's truly active victimization happening in the world today. There's those of us who were at one time victims now have to resolve that whole past and deal with it and figure out what does that all mean going forward. And then there are those of us who um, have a victim mentality. What is that? That things are always really gonna be this way. Um, a victim mentality complains a lot, blames a lot. Uh, victim mentality is a kind of a downer. A person who has a victim mentality, you don't wanna talk to them that often. It's exhausting. Something's always wrong, they wanna share with you their poor lot in life. Things aren't going the way they expected. A victim mentality actually has a benefit to it if you surround yourself with empathetic, generous people. A victim mentality gets help often. We call it enabling, but you get money when you need it until people realize, hey, like it's maybe time to grow up. A victim mentality gets attention, gets understanding. Um, a victim mentality is, is the exact opposite of going on an adventure and having meaning and purpose in life. Now you're gonna have people like this in your life. If not, you should. We should be interacting with enough of the cross-cultural kind of aspect of things or we should be looking for almost opportunities where people have a victim mentality. 
Now, their victim mentality may have first been justified. It may have first been justified, but it's not, it's, it has to be temporary. Victim mentality. Okay. Um, they hold on to pain because the pain has a payoff. If you think about it, they loathe their life and they loathe themselves, but ironically enough, they put themselves at the center of everything. They become narcissistic, though they don't like themselves. Victim mentality. Um, I see a lot of this going on in the world today um, with people who are are looking for something or someone beyond themselves out there to, to have influence in their life that they can't truly um, describe. Something spiritual, um, some force, some entity, the universe. Sometimes you'll see this, they use the universe. Um, there's about 10 people in my life right now who are, who are grasping at what's out there to help me because they realize that they are incapable, as we all are, by the way, of handling all that life has to bring our way. So they, they're reaching out to some fate. Fate is another one, destiny is another one. Fate and destiny have become gods to people. Like fate has brought me this. This is my lot in life, that's a victim. Uh, I'm not allowed things because fate, fate won't allow it. And that's not my destiny. It's, it's a locked in, locked in, loaded, going nowhere kind of ideology. And anytime your, quote, God, small g-o-d, is impersonal, fate and destiny, they're impersonal, therefore they don't feel. They don't have a heart. They can't be compassionate. They can't identify with your pain. It's all uh, circumstantial. What does and what doesn't happen in your life is left up to fate or destiny. I, I understand it. I've done it myself. It's a natural thing to do to reach out and call on, though you may not know personally what it is, at least it's not all laying on you. You're, you're actually distributing your responsibility and pain, trying to get some sort of answers beyond yourself on why your life is the way that it is. Problem with that is, in the infancy of a faith, we blame God for the life that we're living because we've put him in charge of how well it goes. Now we become a victim of God disallowing us to have the life we actually want when in reality, that's not his job. His job is not to hand us a life like the one we want that doesn't allow us to make mistakes, have to work, have to press through, have to plan, have to discipline. You see, God's in the business of transformation, not handing out picturesque lifestyles. So if, if we early in our faith, and this is a, there's generations right now doing this. This is why I'm telling you that. They're blaming God for their lot in life, which is absolving them of personal choice and responsibility. Okay, you understand that? It's very important. 
We can't blame him. He's in the, he's in the business of transformation, not here. Go enjoy this. As many of you know, my wife and I have this uh, farm ministry in development. I walk around the property at various times and, and I'm flabbergasted, really. I'm, it's, it's really, it's hilarious is what it is. And you ask yourself the question, why, why did we have to spend six years uh, cutting logs in 30 degree weather why did we have to hire all these people? Why did we have to press through the mud? And why did this have to break? And why did we have to buy that? And why did we have to keep doing this? And, and then he gives you a video in your head of six years of labor and the people who worked here and provided for their families, the gifts that people gave that provided for others, the stories of change in people's lives who came to the farm. And you realize, I needed to let, I'm the stable boy, okay? I'm the stable boy from 8 to 8.30 in the morning. We have two horses. I walk into the stall, they look at me, and there's two things on their mind. How long will it take before you feed me? And if I actually went to the bathroom right here, how long would it take you to clean it up? That's me. You see, without, with, with just handing you a farm, I never get to be a stable boy. I never learn the humility of it all. I never have to discipline myself to get out of bed when it's 20 degrees. God wants to transform us by the challenges, the meaning and purpose in our lives to do something we can't do on our own because the challenge itself, the test itself is transformative. A victim doesn't understand that. A victim is entitled or a victim is do something from God immediately so as to uh, equal the ledger with everyone else. We don't want to be victims. Victimization is a bad deal. If he really took a look at it, it's based sort of on our performance or it's based on other people's performance and what they have. It's an equaling of the ledger of responsibilities and, and resources that are unmerited. So if, you're, if your understanding of God is, his job is to provide for you any and everything you need and you have little and anything to do with it, you may have missed a few things along the catechism. We are to work, we are to labor, we are to pray, we are to change, we are to be corrected, we are to be convicted, we are to make mistakes, we're to celebrate. The whole adventure is a transformative iron sharpening iron proposition. That's what we want in the end. So your life is a story. Um, my wife and I were talking the other day. There's so many different generations that pop up. I can't keep up with all their names. People write books about them. I have no idea what they're talking about anymore. It, I think it makes its way to Z like hurricanes. Have names of hurricanes get to Z and then it starts. I don't really know. All I know is a lot of people are looking at God as though he's the author of their life. And he's not. He's the author of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the author and the finisher of your faith. 
not the, not the results of your faith, your faith, to give you a faith. You guys have been, and if you haven't already, you'll be given a faith by God if you ask for it. You'll believe that he exists. You'll believe that he's real. You'll believe that he loves you. You'll believe that there's potential in a relationship with him. That relationship is the goal, okay? But in that relationship, he also calls you to something. You don't stay where you're at. He calls you and jerks you through a knothole is what he does. Or he does things you didn't know that he could do or in the way that he could do it or the timing in which he could do it. That's the adventure. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. With your faith, what do we do with it? And this is what makes life interesting. Well, there are some victims in the Bible. Some victims in the Bible overcame their victimization. Other victims in the Bible did not. All right? Biggest victim I know of in the Bible is Christ. There's not a victim on the face of the earth, nor has one ever lived, in whom Christ cannot identify with their victimization. Not one, nor will there ever be. How did he overcome his victimization? Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Paul was a victim, imprisoned for his faith. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. He understood his victimization had a purpose to it and a meaning to it that benefited other people. He later said, do all things without arguing or complaining. He overcame it. He, he didn't resist the challenges that came. He purposed them. He, made, he put meaning behind them. Uh, Viktor Frankl's family went through uh, uh, the concentration camps in World War II. His wife uh, took his manuscript that he had been writing and sewed it into his jacket. The Nazis later discovered the manuscript in his jacket and took it from him. So he finished his manuscript in his head. And his manuscript was on the purpose and meaning of life. And when asked, what is the purpose and meaning of a Jew in a concentration camp that is annihilated by the Nazis? He said, in the simplest form, a person who perishes in this context though dead is a living reminder that it can never happen again. He understood that everything that happens in life, if we find a purpose behind it that glorifies righteousness, then we can endure it. What is the meaning of your life? What is the purpose of the rest of your life? It doesn't have to be one solitary purpose from now until the time you die, but what are the episodic chapters that lie ahead for you in your life where you have a purpose and a mission beyond the absence of one or the inability to define one right now or the inability or unwillingness to sustain one right now? You don't need a whole book. Books are written in chapters. What chapter of life are you in and what is God's purpose for you in that chapter? This is what I wanna help you both discover, maintain, but actuate. Joseph was a victim. In fact, if you look at the life of Joseph, what happened to him is everything that happened to Christ. 
He came unto his own, his own did not receive him. They effectively betrayed him, they falsely accused him, they imprisoned him. And he actually got out of prison by interpreting the dream of a, a baker and a cupbearer. I mean, it's the story of Jesus, the wine and the bread. That's what delivers us. And Joseph, at the end of the day, says this, in his victimization, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. True victims never get out of a rut. But in Christ, the victimization will lead to victory. And that's what we got to define. Here's a victim who never really got past where he needed to go. King Saul, told that to wait before the battle with the Philistines, told to hold still, told to wait for the prophet Samuel to come so they could offer sacrifices before the battle. Waits not. When I saw that the men were scattering, that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, he said, they'll come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt sacrifices. Does he admit his wrongdoing? Or does he blame someone else? Uh, if you're looking for two predominant themes in our culture, the very two themes that are seeking to devour your families and children and grandchildren, they're this. Be a victim. Blame everybody else. Take no responsibility personally. And be a villain. And that's the second thing that we can be in life, a villain. A victim, if they walk in shame long enough, listen to me guys, this is important. A victim, if they walk in shame long enough, will become a villain. And who will that villain be against? Themselves, first. They will self-loathe, self-destruct. They've placed themselves and their, and their victimization at the center of everything, and it's getting them nowhere, so they turn into a villain, a villain that destroys their own life. And if they don't destroy their own life, they'll make a mission to destroy someone else's. Uh, for instance, uh, say the Unabomber. A person who is a victim, who has been wronged in their own mind and has developed a victim mentality will eventually become a villain. If left alone long enough, it's diabolical. It's violent. It's unchecked. And in their mind, it's justified. Victims become villains. Victim and this is interesting, the victim and the hero are the two weakest people in the story. The victim doesn't know who to turn to and how to get help. The hero does. In fact, most heroes at one time were victims. I'm a walking example of that. I was a victim of my own choices, my own addiction, my own faltering, my own slothfulness, my own laziness, my own blasphemy. I was, I was a victim of my own choosing, my own doing, and I and eventually became a villain. A villain will put other people down all the time. You have to bring people down to your level or below so that you can exalt yourself above them. A villain is on the warpath 
to denigrate, to accuse, to judge, to judge people's actions, people's hearts, people's, people's doing, wrongdoing, rightdoing. A, a villain will bring them down so as not to see themselves so low themselves. Victims become villains. Those are the first two characters in a story. Now we talk about the victor, the hero, the protagonist. That's you. It is important to be the hero in your own story. You have to discover a want. You have to discover a burden, a need, a longing, a direction. And God helps us to understand that. God gives us glimpses of that. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God knows what he wants you to do. He knows how he's equipped and gifted you to do it, but he's not going to do it for you. He's gonna allow you the process of transformation to get where he wants you to be. If you're walking out your purpose and mission in life, you'll find that you're not the same person this year as you were a year ago and the year before that. The process of walking out your calling, purpose, and mission is changing who you are. And this is where we miss it in the church. We start discipleship, in the United States of America anyway, by teaching people who Jesus is and believing by faith what he's done on our behalf and accepting him. All wonderful things. But what we then do is we teach people what grace is. We teach people what mercy is. We teach people what the Bible says. There's nothing wrong with that, although it's incomplete. It's incomplete. The hero in the story has to practice and put into place and do the very things they've been taught. You have to extend grace. You have to extend forgiveness. Jesus said, come follow me. He didn't say, come follow me and we'll get to a seminary as fast as we can. We'll get out a classroom, we'll mic up, and we'll be in there about eight hours a day. We'll do Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. He said, no, we're gonna go to the people nobody cares about. I'm gonna touch the people no one's supposed to touch. I'm gonna have mercy on those who have mercy. We're gonna find a victim and we're gonna ask him the question, do you want to get well? We're going to go do something together so that your mental understanding of grace has synced up with your extension of it or your reception of it. We're gonna go do something because in the doing, you will be discipled. There will be a transformative process. You guys over here, as much as I know about you and love you, have been extended the, the, the luxury of, of having time, which no one else in this room has, by the way, having time to sit down, to work out, to discuss, and to study, and to be a student, which is what a disciple is, the things of God, the word of God. You got people coming in giving you messages all of the time. That's all wonderful, but at the end of the day, you gotta get off the bench, take off your warm-ups, get in the game, and extend some grace, extend some forgiveness. Give, sacrifice, share the gospel. That's the transformative process that God wants us involved in. That's what a hero does in their own story. 
They get on mission to head from point where they are to where they're going, and they understand between here and there, there's gonna be challenges, there's gonna be pain, there's gonna be victories, there's gonna be valleys, there's gonna be all sorts of things that will keep us, keep us in our faith to rely upon God to, to get the mission done. And it could be a horrible marriage. It could be a tough job. It could be a never-ending education. It could be a time of lack, it could be a time of plenty. It could be a, a knucklehead family, a dysfunctional this, a dysfunctional that. It could be a number of things, but between point A and point Z of your mission and purpose is the transformative process of what it takes to be a disciple. You cannot do it in a classroom. You can't. You can only teach people about grace so much. But it's nothing like sitting there and accounting in your mind and your heart so many times that you falter that grace has been extended and you've extended it yourself. A victim is healed when? When? More often than not, when they're on mission. And sometimes the mission is telling the testimony of how you used to be a victim. But it's a mission, and it's a purpose, and it's a doing. And therein lies liberation Sanctification. I could teach you the in and outs of every theologian's take on sanctification and parse the scripture of 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 for eight months. But you'll only know about sanctification. You might even dream of sanctification. But because you're knowledgeable of it, it has nothing to do with the fact that you are being sanctified and experiencing that process. You only do that, only. As a hero in your own story, carrying out the very mission that God gave you, that's where the friction is. Friction is good. Friction is good. Friction is good. If you have the absence of friction, you have the absence of transformation. I think meaning in life is less a noun and it's more a verb. We, we tend to want to know what our meaning in life is so we can go do it. And what I'm telling you is we need to go do it and it'll be clear what our meaning is. Faith without works is a corpse. Apostle Paul was both a victim who overcame and he was also, I think, a victor. To come from where he came and to do what he did under submission to the Spirit of God is a testimony. And to be as big a jerk as he was, 
be as big a jerk as he was. A violent, uncaring jerk. To become one who talks about longing for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, don't tell me there wasn't something in between those two realities called ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ to lost and dying people who didn't want to hear a word of what he had to say, didn't like what he had to say before he said it, and didn't like the legend of who he was, and rightly so. That turned that guy into a puppy dog. Victim, villain, victor, and voice. When Bilbo Baggins leaves the Shire, he is a guide, Gandalf. When George Bailey goes through his crisis and it's a wonderful life, Clarence, the angel, is his guide. Luke Skywalker had Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan had Yoda. The Karate Kid had Mr. Miyagi. The disciples had Jesus. The biggest thing missing in the church today, a mentor. We have trained, available, shalom ministers whose job it is, whose calling, mission, and purpose is to walk through a crisis with somebody. But for whatever reason, the crisis isn't intense enough for the person going through it to be vulnerable enough to say, I need someone to walk with me. If the karate kid doesn't have Mr. Miyagi, he will be beat to a bludgeoned death. <laughs> we, we somehow have gotten to this independence in our faith where we are not willing to have anyone help us. I don't understand it. It's one of the most non-biblical things going on in the church today. Said another way, who has been a victim, who has been a villain, who has been a hero, and who right now needs to be a voice? You match those people up, you got something pretty dangerous. What we've wrongly done, with the best of intentions, I'm not being accusatory, is we've made the person who stands up here the voice And we can't figure out if we want it to be 35 minutes long, 30 minutes long, or 42. But we'll know when it's too long. So what we want is a 42 to 30 minute voice two and a half times a month. Don't tell me you come to church every Sunday. Please. Well, a lot of you do. But you see my point. We've replaced the relational voice, the walking together voice, has been replaced. And we're, we're, we're cheating ourselves out of the power of the body of Christ. We're gonna have to figure that out. Listen, one day I won't be standing up here and I'll look back and I'll feel good whether you use it or not. I'll still feel good that we laid a good foundation, firming up your faith, firming up your faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? 
Freedom in Christ. Is that the end of it, just to get free? No, the freedom in Christ is then to understand the purpose and power of the Holy Spirit. The purpose, power, meaning of the Holy Spirit. And to live under the Lordship of Christ. Now we've completed things. Let me throw some evangelism in there. But, but we're, what we got is a culture that's just on the first base side of things. I got saved, I, I, I felt goosebumps. The hair in the back of my neck stood up. I came to faith, and then, you know, I drop by the church every now and again. Where is the freedom, and where is the purpose and meaning behind that freedom to share with someone else under the Lordship of Christ? Now we're getting somewhere. Yes, we need a voice in our life, and obviously the voice of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit. Together, we will discover how to write our own stories or chapters. Adventures, fun. I don't care if your purpose and mission, which is partly mine, by the way, much to the chagrin of people who eat with me, I like to make people that work at a restaurant laugh. I don't know what it is. But I think it's my dad He started that ministry. And he wasn't very funny. And my mom knew it. But I want somehow when I'm not in a bad mood, when I'm not a, when I'm not a victim myself one afternoon because I didn't get a nap or something, I want to bring joy to people's life. I do. That's my mission and purpose sometimes. I want to be a halfway decent author. I have a long way to go on that one. And boy, is that process going to transform me. I don't... I don't care if it's baking cakes for people down the street. I think each of us should find our purpose and mission in life and go do it. Therein lies discipleship. Well, a lot of people say, I don't have enough time enough for discipleship. You don't need time. Just in your life, in your life, you just are a witness in your life. You're already living your life. I'm not dad, you don't have to live two lives. Just live the life you're living, but within it, bring the kingdom, right? You'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Some of, some of us will discover how to help others to do that too. And that's a, that's a voice. That's a mentor. Our Lord is an incredible provider, but we have a responsibility too. I mean, he died and rose again. You want more? What, you got him? That was insufficient? What does he need to do? What does he need to do now? He wants to live his life through you. The changes we make, the decisions we make, set ourselves up for him to do just that. Victimhood and villainhood exist in each of us at varying levels at varying times. Let's be honest about it. I have made, I could write a, I could write a book on this, it'd be a bestseller, How to Milk an Illness at Home. Right? I could do that, I'm probably the best in the world. How to milk it for all it's worth at home. But there are some of us that are steeped in victimization. 
I mean, marinated in it, one with it. And it's time. It's time. And with that is a villainhood where we self-destruct. I'm assuming you guys know what I'm talking about. Our Lord is interested in testing victors who don't complain or blame or vilify others. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do God's work, to do good work that God prepared in advance for you to do. Foreknowing your need of forgiveness, he demonstrated his love before you were ever born. He demonstrated his love on your behalf by dying on a cross. Pretty thorough, pretty good planning. And we come to faith in him. We come to acknowledge that he exists. And as wonderful as it is that he exists, even more wonderful than that, if you can imagine, is how he wants to interact with us as we go forward. That's what it really gets good. Most people leave the movie before the end. It really gets good when he interacts with us as we interact with others. That's the joy. You know, everybody's got a prophecy online or this or that. No one ever checks them. But everybody's got one. No one holds them accountable, but everybody's got one. Here's one you can check at the end of the year, every year. God has his best in mind for you, and he wants to transform you to the image of his son. And to do that, He'll place before you whatever it is you need to go through and not avoid for that process to continue. And it will draw you nearer to him, deeper in love with him, with his love. And you'll have a greater love for other people, more than you ever thought possible. You'll move from a victimization to a victor. And with the right voice in your life, all things are possible. All things.